Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, this is Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And in this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different because I've recently been running a series of videos on Facebook all about property strategies. And some of you, a few of you have been in touch and said there's been great information, but it'd be really good to be able to access it more easily. So I thought the podcast would be pretty easy because you just go down this little list of contents and you'll find it. Because I fully understand that when something goes onto Facebook, it usually just sort of disappears after a bit, doesn't it? And Facebook are very selective about who they put your posts in front of. And that made me realize that although it's a great series, maybe not that many people have actually seen my posts. So I thought I'd bring it onto the podcast and then we can all benefit from it and enjoy it. And it's kind of like an archive, isn't it? Be able to find it in the future, should you wish to do a bit of a refresher on property strategies. And the first two videos which I did were all about buy to let. I did all about vanilla buy to let and all about BRR and how to use BRR to buy buy to lets and to refinance and get your money back out. So I'm going to try and scrape the audio off my videos. I'm going to bring it here and put it into this podcast. I say me, I'm going to have a go, but I'm going to need quite a lot of help from Harry, the tech guy, but we'll do what we can and I'm sure it's going to be fine. So you're going to hear a reference to in this video, just ignore that, you'll understand why. And hopefully you're going to find this really useful. Now, if you're not into buy to let, don't switch off. Because what I would say is, although this is foundational information, it's not basic information, when you understand the foundations, you can then build your property empire upon that. And there's a lot of great learnings which we can actually take on board through things like Vanilla buy to let and BRR buy to let which you can then apply to other strategies and other types of properties. So don't just dismiss this and think this doesn't apply to me. Have a listen. So I'm going to get the audio now. I'm going to put it here. You'll hear it, it'll be an episode, but don't go away because at the end of it, I'm going to give you a few more thoughts about my internet, which I didn't share in the video. So let's listen to the audio. This series of videos might actually be a bit of a refresher if you're an experienced investor. If you're not so experienced, I thought it might be quite useful to go through all the different strategies and A, outline what they are and B, give you my take on what the pros and cons of each strategy are. Even if you are more experienced, it might be worth watching this anyway, just to refresh your memory. And also because things change. I know that when I started out in property, I was pursuing a particular strategy. I now have three or four different strategies which I look at in property. And things are changing the whole time. The market changes, the law changes, the way that we do things changes. And so strategies, I suppose, come into fashion and strategies go out of fashion What worked last year may not work next year and vice versa. What wasn't working next year may be perfectly good next year. So it's worth keeping an eye on all the different strategies and not dismissing any. But we're going to start sort of right at the bottom of the pile, as it were, with buy to let. Now, I don't mean bottom of the pile in terms of not being a great strategy, but it's probably the most simple strategy. But even then, there are nuances to it because I'm going to talk today about very basic vanilla buy-to-let, but there are more sophisticated ways of doing buy-to-let, which we'll think about in the next video. But at a very basic level, buy-to-let, I guess, we're just buying a property, sticking a tenant in and collecting the rent. 
But even then, we have different choices. Are we going to buy the property using a mortgage or are we going to buy the property using 100% cash? The problem for most people with that approach would be actually saving 100% cash. Even a cheap property is going to cost a relatively large amount of money. At the moment, it's possible probably to go up north and buy a house for 50, 60, 70,000 pounds, which in the scheme of things, compared to say London prices, isn't that much. But for most people to save 70,000 pounds cash is going to take them a long, long time unless they've got a mega job, you know, earning, a, you know, perhaps bonuses of a million pounds in the city. For most of us, it's going to be very, very hard. So for most of us, we probably are going to be using a mortgage, in which case we're probably going to be starting by saving up the deposit. Another nuance could be whether we use interest only or capital repayment mortgages. Now, the received wisdom is that if you're an investor, you want to use interest only. And there's many, many reasons for that. I'm not going to even go into that now because I could make a video about that. Maybe I'll make a note. I'll do a video about that. But there's many, many reasons why when you weigh the pros and cons, probably an interest only mortgage just outweighs a capital repayment mortgage. But for some people, buying a house, sticking a tenant in and using capital repayment mortgage is a great way of using it almost as, as a, a savings plan. Because the tenant, this is one of the great things about property, which I think perhaps not everybody realizes, but the tenant is effectively buying the property. Why? Because if the rent is greater than the mortgage, and let's face it, it should be, or else you probably shouldn't be buying that property, then effectively the tenant is paying the mortgage for you and the tenant is buying the property for you. So if you take out a 20-year capital repayment mortgage, for example, by the end of the 20 years, the property is paid off, it's unencumbered. In theory, that might be a good thing. Actually, I don't think it is. But again, maybe that's something for another video. But that is a fairly basic strategy. Another nuance on this could be buying your properties at what we could call below market value. Now, to some extent, that's a bit of a trite term. What does it actually mean? What is the value of a property? Well, we could argue that the value of a property is the amount that somebody is prepared to pay for it. Actually, if you talk to the RICS and look at the Royal Institutional Chartered Surveyor's definition of open market value, they wouldn't actually concur with that. But for our purposes, that's good enough. So we could get into semantics about what below market value is, but we can all agree that it's probably a good thing to buy a bargain property or to try and buy it as cheaply as possible. Because if we can buy it as cheaply as possible, that will increase the return on our money invested, whether that be in a deposit or whether we're buying it 100% for cash. So a nuance on this could be buying a property at the best possible price and negotiating very hard. Another nuance, though, could be that we just pay almost asking price. Now, why would somebody do that? Well, I think this is one of the interesting things about property. Not everybody who goes into property and not everybody who wants to buy property necessarily wants to be a sophisticated investor in that sense. And by sophisticated investor, I don't mean the FCA definition, but I mean somebody who's sort of thinking about how to get every last point of a percent of return from their money. Some people are just happy to buy property and put their money in and use the property as a place to store their money. If you go through the Sunday Times Rich List, for example, you'll see many examples of people who've made their money outside of property, but they actually store their wealth in property. So we can see that with what we could call vanilla buy-to-let investing. I was talking to an estate agent contact of mine who's based in Nottingham a while back, and he was telling me that he has a list of investors mainly based in London, who he sells properties to. And I was asking him about that. I was saying, 
well, how much do your London investors want by way of a discount when they buy a property off you? And he looked at me a bit blankly and he said, I don't give them a discount. They pretty much pay full asking price. And when I looked a bit baffled at that, he said, well, a lot of them, they just want to park their money somewhere safe. And as long as I can say this is a good house in a good area and it should rent okay, and if I can give them that comfort, they'll buy the property at almost full asking price and then they'll just use it to store their wealth. They're not bothered about getting 25% off market value, for example. They just want to spend 70, 80, 90,000 pounds on a property which is going to yield them 6, 7 or 8%. And for many people, that is good enough. And that's why for some people, if you only want to buy one or two, maybe buying the house next door, maybe buying a house in the adjoining street so that you can manage it, maybe buying a property uh, or almost full asking price. Maybe you offer 5% below asking price and you think you've got yourself a deal. That's good enough. But there are other things that we can do which make buy-to-let investing far more nuanced and far more exciting. And we'll be looking at that in the next video. But if you just want to put your money into property, if you just want to store your wealth in property, if you just want to have a tenant paying down your mortgage for you, all of these are good things to consider. So we saw in the last video that the basic level of investing could be just buying a property without much thought, putting a tenant in and collecting the rent. And there are reasons why some investors may want to do that. After all, we're all very different. Not every investor wants to own a portfolio of 50 or 100 or 500 properties. They just want one or two, maybe to supplement their pension, maybe to supplement their income. And good enough is good enough. And they don't need to think about it at any great depth. But we can actually take it further than that. My favorite strategy in buy-to-let involves using BRR, buy, refurbish, and refinance. Now, BRR is not actually a specific buy-to-let strategy. It's a technique for buying properties, refurbishing, refinancing, and recycling your money back out, which you can use with many of the strategies, buy-to-let included, but you could also use it, for example, with HMOs. You could use it with commercial property. But when you combine it with a buy-to-let, it works really, really well. And this is how many successful buy-to-let investors have built large portfolios. Because the essence of BRR investing is to find a property where you can add value. Usually that's by way of a minor refurb, which is very easy. Maybe just putting in a new kitchen, a new bathroom, giving it a lick of paint, new carpets, maybe new windows if it needs it. There may be other incidental bits and pieces which arise as and when you start doing the refurb, which you might not have known about on day one, but that would be the essence of it. Kitchen, bathroom, redecoration, carpets. And by adding the value, you can then refinance the property and hopefully recycle all or most of your money back out. In order to make the margin even greater, to make it even more likely that you'll get all or most of your money back out, you can buy the property slightly cheaply. So for example, a property might be on the market for £80,000. Now it's on £80,000 because if it was in good condition and it had been refurbished, it might have been on the market, it might have been worth £100,000, but the price has been discounted to reflect the works. If you can buy that property for say £65,000 and spend say, I don't know, £7,500 on the refurb, which actually is very doable. Sometimes when we talk about the figures, people are surprised that you can do a refurb so cheaply. A lot of it comes down to knowing how to find your contractors and tradesmen and how to buy the materials. But yes, it is possible to do it probably much more cheaply than you might have imagined if you're new to property. If you can spend, say, £7,500 on top of the £65,000, you will then end up with a property which is worth £100,000. 
If you can then get a 75% or even an 80% loan to value mortgage on that, you'll be able to get most, if not all of your money back out again. And that's pretty much it. That's how BRR works. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a refurb. There may be other ways that you can add value. So again, a tweak on buy to let, particularly in areas where BRR is tough. BRR is tough in areas where properties have got a higher value because the upper end of the range currently, as I record this video, is probably around about £150,000. Why? Because the banks have introduced what they call stress testing. If you're not quite sure what that means, and if you go to my website and you look at my blog, you'll see I've put some articles on there. But stress testing is where basically they come up with a notional interest rate and then multiply that by 125 or 130 or 145% over and above, and the rent has to be greater than that notional interest rate. It's not the interest you pay, by the way, it's just a, a, an interest rate which they use for calculating whether the property stacks up or not. And that's going to limit the top end of the market, the top, top value of property that you can actually buy using a strategy. It's probably about £150,000. So properties around the 100000 mark, perfect. And it, as I say, it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the refurb route, you could do other things. And if you're buying in an area where property values are higher or where you're going to struggle to do BRR, then maybe combining with something like title splitting, where perhaps you buy a house and turn it into two flats or buy a house and turn it into four flats. If you do the figures, you'd obviously have to run the figures and make sure they stack, but maybe that would make this strategy work where you are. Otherwise, you may have to go and buy in a cheaper area where the figures do stack. But if you're not going to do a refurb, it could be that you do some kind of development. It could be doing a title split. It could be something as simple as turning a one-bedroom flat into a two-bedroom flat. How? Well, I know that investors in London and other big cities have done this by basically taking the kitchen out of the kitchen and putting it into the living room so it becomes like an open-plan living area and turning the kitchen into an additional bedroom. Although the floor area of the property hasn't changed at all, because in this country we tend to calculate value by means of the number of bedrooms, then the value is probably going to value it as a two bed and not as one bed, even though the size hasn't changed. So there's all these tweaks that we can actually make to property, which might make the whole BRR thing actually work better depending upon where you are. But at a basic level, a minor refurb and then refinancing. And yes, you can buy the property using a buy-to-let mortgage, a little bit tricky because Buy-to-let lenders generally want properties to be what they call habitable. Now, by habitable, it doesn't mean pristine. It usually means that it's got a working bathroom and kitchen. Even if the kitchen and bathroom aren't up to scratch, some banks will accept it, some values will be okay with it, some banks won't accept it, some values won't be okay with it. So it's a little bit of a lottery, but that can work as well. Or another way of doing this can be to actually buy the property 100% for cash. If you borrow 100% of the funds do the refurb and then refinance, the bank's probably going to be happy with that. Ironically, if you only borrow, the, say, the 25% deposit, say you're getting a 75% loan to value, and you borrow the 25% deposit, unless you're borrowing off a close relative, like a grandparent or a parent, the banks probably won't be happy with that. Strange, isn't it? Happy if you borrow 100% of the money and then refinance later down the line, but they wouldn't be happy if you borrow 25% of the money and then take out a mortgage with them strange things banks but as a general rule the brr model is fantastic and as i say if once you get your head around it and once you understand it you'll be able to see that it's very powerful because you can use it for other uh, strategies as well 
So there we are. I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you found that useful. But I just thought I'd just add a little bit more at the end because there's often quite a lot of concern and confusion as to how one can get the money together to get started in Bytelet or even BRR Bytelet. And a couple of ways which I didn't actually mention in the video, so this is like a bonus section for anybody listening to the podcast, is this. The way that I started when I started back in ooh, so many years ago, I can't even count now, was to take equity out of my home. Now, I know that that's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to do that. Some people consider taking equity out of the home. They feel it's a little bit risky. I didn't feel that. I felt that it wasn't actually like I was going to go off and spend the money and I'll never see it again. I was actually just transferring the equity from my home into other assets. And that became the seed capital, which has allowed me to grow a substantial portfolio. It may be that you've got other assets. If you've got other properties, you can maybe take equity out of your other properties if you've already got some buy-to-lets to keep your growth and your momentum going. And by the way, I think most banks nowadays, even with the sort of more stringent rules that have come in over the last couple of years, would be quite okay with you using equity from your home or from other assets to use as the deposits on other properties. So you could take, say, I don't know, for argument's sake, say £100,000 out of your own home, and you could maybe split that into four deposits of £25,000 each to buy four £100,000 properties. That could be a great way of boosting your portfolio and accelerating your growth. Maybe something worth thinking about. Another way that you could get into BRR and you can finance your deals is by using bridging. Now, if you're not sure what bridging is, bridging a bridge, it refers to bridging the gap between buying the property and then putting the property onto conventional finance. So it's usually a short-term loan. The great thing about bridging is that a lot of bridging companies who lend these types of loans are backed by private finance, so they're not mainstream banks, and that means that they can be very flexible. And very often, they're prepared to look at the deal much more than they're looking at you, which means that if you don't quite meet bank criteria, you might meet bridging criteria. Almost certainly you'll find a bridger out there who will lend to you because they're not going to be bothered about your salary per se. They're not going to be looking at whether you own an, a property. For example, many buy-to-let lenders might want a minimum income. They might want you to own a property. Lots of bridges will probably overlook that. They're probably not going to be so concerned if you've got a county court judgment and all that kind of They're very flexible. They're looking primarily at the deal and they can get you the money very, very quickly. But the downside is that bridging is inevitably and invariably very expensive. So it could be over 1% per month. Why would you buy something using finance over 1% per month? Well, because if the figures stack up and if it allows you to do a deal which you wouldn't otherwise be able to do, then it's got to be worth doing, surely. But the key thing is, is to know how you're going to come off the bridge and how you're going to go back onto conventional finance. Because when people get into trouble with bridging, invariably it's because they haven't worked out how they're going to come off the bridge and how they're going to go into conventional finance. And if you find yourself trapped in a bridge after you get to the end of the bridge period, which could be three months, six months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever it is you agree, if you haven't paid the loan back or if you can't pay the loan back at that point, there will be penalty rates. And if you think that the basic rate is probably like 1% a month or one and a quarter percent per month, you can imagine the penalty rates are going to be quite sickening. And that's why people get themselves into trouble. So just make sure that you're working with a good broker 
a broker who understands all this kind of stuff who's going to help you to get onto the right conventional finance. And most of the time, you're going to come off the bridge and go on to something like a, a conventional buy-to-let loan. So I hope you found that helpful. And in the next uh, podcast, we're probably going to look at some more strategies or we're, and we're going to look at how to find our deals as well, which will be very exciting. Now, if you want to know a bit more about me, Peter, Peter Jones, then come to my website, come to www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. You'll find loads of great resources there. Uh, you'll find my blog, you'll find videos, you'll find articles, you'll find resources. Some of it's free, some of it you pay for, but it's all good stuff and it will help you in your property business. And until next time here at Progressive on the Progressive Property Podcast, here's to successful property investing. Music.